Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. How does an economy that is more mindful and less mindless become a reality? Welcome to the Mindful Marketplace. I'm your host, Joel Skeen, and I'm happy to welcome you to the show where we ask experts, entrepreneurs, investors, and industry leaders for their perspectives on how all of us can, on every level, do our part to help create a more mindful marketplace. Today is a really special episode for me personally. Uh, I'm really grateful and excited to get to talk to our guest, Angela Barbash, today. In some ways, Angela is actually the reason that this show exists. Uh, She is a pioneer for the mindful marketplace. Angela is actually one of the few financial advisors in the entire country who helps her clients invest their money locally, not just on Wall Street, and in alignment with their values. She is a driving force behind our, uh, behind moving our economy in the right direction. She has a brilliant mind and a big heart for our community and our world. And I am truly lucky to get to call her a dear friend. Um, and before we get started today, I do want to acknowledge that, you know, with everything that's going on in our world, I know it can be easy for us to become overwhelmed by the problems that we face. As you've probably heard, another election has just passed and inflation is at an all-time high. At the same time, corporate profits, inequality, consumer debt, and the monopolization of pretty much every industry are also at an all-time high. The reality is we live in a me-first economy and subsequently a me-first culture. In America today and over the last 50 years or so, the dominant philosophy has been, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You got to look out for number one, kill or be killed. And this neoliberal emphasis on individualism is so pervasive that we often don't even notice it or have any sense that things could have been or could ever be any different. The proponents of this ideology claim that, you know, this is just in our DNA. It's just how God and evolution made us. So why fight it? One of the main purposes of this show, I think, is to recognize the fact that while this culture may be the most dominant in our politics, in our culture, and in the business community, there is, in fact, another way. We draw from the thousands of years of human history where groups of people have lived and worked as communities rather than as just individuals. And even today, there are countless examples of businesses, investors, community organizations, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who recognize the interconnectedness of our lives and who understand that a rising tide raises all ships. I genuinely believe that the problems we face today are in part caused by the way that we think. When we see ourselves as isolated and independent, we tend to objectify others, thinking of our fellow human beings as objects who exist solely to help us get what we want or who stand in our way. But when we actually take the time to look one another in the eye and pay attention to our common ground and our shared humanity, we recognize each other for who we really are, each other. We all share this planet, and it's the only one that we've been given. 
And we are all brothers and sisters, and no single individual can change the world on their own. We can't wait around for a superhero to step in and save the day. If we are going to survive and thrive in the face of our biggest challenges, it must be done together. But it must also be done within each of our own hearts and our own minds. For me personally, this means taking a good hard look at my own attitudes, behaviors, and practices. It means recognizing that sometimes I'm part of the problem. It means interrogating reality to understand my own selfish tendencies and remembering to forgive others and myself for not being perfect. If we are going to have a better world and a more mindful marketplace for everyone, we have to not only um, relieve the suffering that is caused by oppression, but we must also relieve the suffering that causes oppression within ourselves. As I mentioned earlier, it's easy to be overwhelmed by all the things we cannot control. But I believe that when we change our when we cannot change our circumstances, we become challenged to change ourselves. Our path of growth as individuals and as a society is to let go of our illusion of separateness and recognize that the best opportunity any of us have is the chance that we get to serve each other. Because when all is said and done, we are each other and we are all that we have. Uh, with that, I am excited to get to into our conversation here with Angela. Um, Angela, thank you so much for joining the show here today. Um, it's so good to have you on. Oh, thank you so much, Joel. It has been a long time coming, I feel like, for us to get to hang out in this space that you've created. Yeah, I am very excited for it. And you were probably the first person that I thought of when I um, decided I was going to join up with bizradio.us here to have a board. And so I'm really glad that we're finally getting to have this two-part discussion and conversation about the work you've been doing, about what you've learned, and what you see for the future of investing and investing in a way that's in alignment with values and in alignment with supporting our local independent businesses, not just the mega corporations up on Wall Street, right? So there's a lot to cover here, yeah. um, but I want to start with your journey and your story. You know, how did, how did this all start? How did you get into helping people invest locally? Where did you start from? Oh gosh. Well, I'll do my best to wrap it all up in a bow so that folks can understand why I do what I do and how I got here. I think it's helpful context to know that my husband and I, uh, Marshall, who is a, an owner of Revalue as well, we grew up together. So we met in the fourth grade and we grew up in a town that was mired in a lot of the struggles of the working lower class. Uh, we, we often refer back to those years as uh, a Lord of the Flies kind of situation. <laughs> where the kids all were latchkey kids and we ruled the neighborhood and we, we ruled our households to some degree because our parents were either at work, working double shifts or two or three jobs, or uh, a lot of families around us were struggling with substance abuse and absent parents. And, and that kind of environment and that, that sort of social and economic struggle builds, I think, a a degree of of uh, responsibility 
um, in a lot of the kids. It, it built it certainly for my husband and I, where we had to be responsible for ourselves. Um, but it also gave us a, a lens through which to see the world, where we could truly empathize with all of the other people that we have encountered in life that have struggled. And after that, uh, after that childhood experience, I kind of went out into the world and tried to figure out what to do with you know, that imprint, but also a love of people and a love of mathematics and uh, ultimately ran into a, a series of mentors that that interestingly covered the, the political and philosophical spectrum from uh, all the way from, you know, anarchy to Marxism and all the way from um, federalism to, uh, to anti-federalism and progressiveness to conservativeness and, and that cross-section, getting to see those, those various cross-sections uh, really helped open up the whole world to me so that I could really kind of take a step back and see the, the patterns that we have fallen into as as a species, as a as humans, and uh, and one of those mentors happened to be a financial advisor, and I I had a, a deep love of math already. I was going to college at the time as an anthropology major and history minor, so I had a deep love of people, and I uh, started to understand that if I worked in finance, I. Uh, and became a financial advisor, not only could I help other people and put these skills to use, but I could also learn about money myself. I mean, for my families, understood money really to any um, sort of tangible degree. And uh, and I understood it was something that I needed to understand <laughs> if I wanted to try to have a positive impact on the world around me. I needed to understand how the money systems worked and how they didn't work. And so I spent the first 10 years of my career as an advisor uh, working within the traditional finance system. Uh, and, and I did that very intentionally. I figured the best way to figure out how the system truly doesn't work for people is to work within it to see what's broken with, from the inside out. And 10 years was about enough time for me to see it, <laughs> really, truly see it at its core. And so um, then we went through 2008 and, you know, the whole world sort of fell apart for a lot of people. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, whether whether it was folks talking about Occupy Wall Street or it was folks organizing around the Tea Party movement uh, or lining up to support Bernie Sanders as a, as a politician in the years after that, I think in a lot of ways, 2008 allowed us to drop the shroud over our eyes, I think for a lot of people, of how these systems were truly broken and they needed to be rebuilt. And now the debate in the last 10 years has been what is the best way to rebuild them in what image? So yeah, there's a lot of really awesome things that happened that got me here, but I'll pause there because that's a lot to take in just in and of itself. Well, and in the fallout from all of that is when you and I actually met in the early 2010s, we were both yeah. serving on the board of a nonprofit that did urban farming, healthy food access work. Yeah. And I remember we, um, we really connected because we both ended up at this conference that was held in Buffalo, New York that year. Mm 
that was about it, it was called the business alliance for local living economies and i know that was really transformative for me and it seemed like it had that same sort of impact on you talk to me a little bit about what you learned and how you settled on moving forward with continuing to help people as a financial advisor but doing it in a completely different way yeah yeah so so going to those years, you know, uh, after um, I'd say 2009 is when I left the uh, kind of large firm I was at. I went back to the small independent broker dealer firm and uh, working with about 30 clients. And And it was in 2009, 10 and 11 that I had clients and other people that I would run into in, in the world uh, really challenging the, the concepts of traditional finance and asking good, tough questions, uh, like how do I get my money off of Wall Street and invest in the coffee shop down the street or the urban farm around the corner? Uh, how do I make that happen? And, how, you know, why uh, can't I put solar panels on my roof and that be a part of my portfolio? Why is why are we not having that conversation? And and as I tried to find the answers to those questions and, and got more and more curious about resilient systems and and community resilience, I found that there really were not a lot of answers. And that was what led me into the the Bali world uh, at the conference that you spoke of and also the Slow Money Conference. And I showed up in those spaces uh, blown away that this conversation was happening. It was very vibrant, but it wasn't happening in the finance industry. It was happening outside of the finance industry, and uh, people were organizing outside of the industry. And I thought, okay, well, that's exciting, but how do you do this within the the framework that the kind of the if if you imagine that the finance industry is a captured industry, it's it it's regulated, and so therefore it has to operate in certain ways that are dictated by the government. And so, how do you then do local investing, or what we now refer to as impact investing or community investing? How do you do that within this captured framework? Because if we can't figure out how to do that, then we're never really going to be able to reach the masses with these messages. Everybody will always have to be operating outside of the financial advisor, you know, relationship and, and their and their investments and you know all of that. Like these things need to come together. And uh, and so I, I think what was so transformative for me about that conference and the slow money conference was the evidence that there was a lot of interest in investing in a different way and there were not a lot of answers and there were not a lot of finance industry people trying to find those answers and that for me was the perfect opportunity i was like the i wasn't even thinking about it in terms of business opportunity i was just thinking about it in terms of opportunity to put my skill set to use and make you know move the 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 ball further down the field you know yeah, absolutely. And it always struck me when I was learning about this that, you know, there was a period of time in this country where it was common to invest in your local community, in the yeah. businesses down the street. There was a time when that didn't seem like a crazy idea. But mm -hmm. in the 20th century, there was a consolidation of banks. There was a consolidation of money towards Wall Street and a consolidation of round money around, you know, multinational corporations. And 
I guess that shifting things back, you know, it's easier. It's kind of, it's difficult to undo things that have been done, you know, and with revalue, I'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit about how you guys have done, how you guys have moved things in that direction. I know some of that's been on the policy side. Some of that's been on the education side. Some of that's been actually being local financial advisors. Talk to us a little bit about what revalue does and how it is that you move the needle in this direction. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad, first of all, that you brought up the, the, you know, kind of reminding people that a hundred years ago, this was just how we did things. It was all, you know, local person to person investment. Um, for the most part, there weren't global capital markets that regular people were engaged in. And um, it, it is a testimony, I think, to how easy it is to, to, to uh, really create, this is a strong phrase I'm going to use, but to create cultural genocide by by removing information and knowledge from the population. It happened just within two generations that nobody knew how to invest locally anymore. It was, or it was for like rich people, but not for everyone kind of thing. And, uh, and so I appreciate that you brought that up. Um, so when, so 2013 uh, is when we launched Revalue. I did uh, for the year and a half before we launched, I did community conversations and got uh, all together about 300 people in the room at various times, you know, 20, 30 people at a time over the course of a year and a half. And I put all of this uh, all of this information in front of them about how the world was changing very rapidly. And I kind of laid out for them, like, here's what the sharing economy is. Here's what the B Corp movement is. Here's what the local investing movement is. This is what's happening. The, the resiliency movement, the, the transition movement, this is what's happening around you and the world is changing. And where do you see yourself in it? And this is what my skill set is. And this is what, I, where I think I see myself in it. Uh, but is is this, you know, saying this to my local community, is this where you want me to put my efforts? Because basically I've kind of laid out the landscape and said, I'll plug myself in wherever you want me. And and it was the community that then told us, uh, myself, and, and I gathered uh, some early partners together with me who are all with me still today, almost a decade later. Uh, they said to us, we want you to launch an investment firm that will help us do this work, help us invest locally, help us invest for uh, for a just future, and, both on and off Wall Street. And uh, we said, okay, uh, we don't exactly know how to do that but we're going to figure it out. And that's what we did. So we launched Revalue. It's a registered investment advisor, which means we're fee only. We're fiduciaries. We don't get paid commissions on anything. We don't sell products. We are purely paid to by our clients to provide advice and guidance to them. And and the in the whole intent from the very beginning from day one was to help figure out how to uh, help clients invest locally, no matter how much their net worth or their income was. So not just high net worth people, but how do we help the everyday 
person put $50 into their local economy and through an investment and that be a legitimate part of their portfolio. And so for us, this was baked into our DNA. It wasn't something we just stumbled upon later, um, which I, I still appreciate all the firms today that are stumbling upon this now that were established firms. So shout out to all of those change makers too. But this was the the question, the, the primary business question for us. And so what we discovered in the first year or two was that uh, there were mavens, if you're familiar with the um, Malcolm Gladwell uh, uh, terminology, you know, people that are kind of evangelizing, uh, testing out these new ideas and evangelizing them with others. There are mavens out there, but there were not enough for a firm to survive. Not enough people knew what was going on. Uh, in terms of the idea to invest locally, that it wasn't on their radar yet. And even more so, there were investors interested, but there were not opportunities to invest. And so the more we dug, the more we realized that there were missing pieces in in what you could call the supply chain of community investment, uh, where there every kind of point along the chain there were there was a lack of education or a lack of awareness or both and uh, so the first thing we did and it took us really our first five years of existence was we plugged into and inserted ourselves and this conversation into the economic development arena because we we figured out that that was where we really needed to to raise awareness first so that we had the infrastructure and the marketplace available for us to even do this work for our investors. So the first step was really just about educating people that this is possible. Exactly. Educating people and raising their awareness. And we completely underestimated how long that was going to (laughs) take. I found it usually goes in that direction. You usually don't. (laughs) overestimate how long things are going to take at least for me (laughs) so we're going to dive in more on the second half of this episode this is going to be a two-parter so please tune in next week when we dig in deeper with angela and we're going to talk about the vision moving forward of what does this actually look like in the future And then also, what are some of those roadblocks? What are some of those obstacles that are in the way that need to be gotten around, that need to be changed, that need to be worked with in order to actually see a future where when you invest your money, we've talked earlier about how your dollar is your vote. And right now, the options for most people to invest their dollar are pretty slim and it is really relegated to companies that most of them aren't you know, going out of their way to do good for your local economy. And so we're going to paint that vision. We're going to paint what that looks like. And then we're also going to talk about the realistic challenges along the way of what it's going to take for us as a society and us as individuals to actually get there. So please tune in next week um, for the second half of this conversation with my good friend and a brilliant mind and big heart, Angela Barbash. Um, You can listen to this episode as well as tons of other great programs that are on the Biz Radio US network by going to www.bizradio.us. Also, you can connect directly with me and my debt elimination services as well as the rest of the episodes from this show by going to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com. So until next week, 
I wish you the best. Please take care of yourself and make sure to take care of someone else. Thanks, Angela, and looking forward to continuing this conversation with you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.